question to God. Uh, it, it tends to, doesn't it? When we, when we find our way into bits of the Bible that we generally avoid, um, that are pretty unfamiliar territory, um, that we've occasionally read uh, or maybe never read, when we venture into that territory, um, we can be taken a bit by surprise. Um, and uh, uh, God willing, uh, our vision and our understanding of God uh, grows and deepens as a result. So let me, I'm going to introduce Lamentations briefly. Uh, then we're going to read the first two chapters. I was thinking about reading the whole book tonight. Um, had that idea. Um, but then I realized I had so much I wanted to say about the first couple of chapters, I thought that would be a bit reckless. Um, we probably would use up the entire five hours and uh, five minutes we've got left um, to fill in the electoral roll forms. So we wouldn't do that. Um, but we are going to read the first couple of chapters, and I want to give you a little bit of introduction to try and help you orientate to this book. Um, it consists of five poems. Uh, it is five chapters, and there are five poems. Um, most, uh, and, and the entire book, as the title suggests, is in the form of lament. Um, most think that the setting for the book uh, was the overthrow of Jerusalem. Um, in 587 uh, BC. I've got a slide on that. Yeah. Oh, gone one too fast. Um, uh, 587 BC. Um, the Babylonian army inflicted a, a terrible, um, lengthy siege, uh, starving the people inside the city um, until eventually the, the sort of the final conquest came um, and the fall was awful. Uh, many had already starved to death, uh, the army was defeated. Uh, the king taken into captive, his sons killed before his eyes, um, and the majority of the people uh, into exile in Babylon. Uh, only a tiny remnant left in the city. And the city itself utterly sacked, uh, walls broken down, the temple ruined, the fall was complete. And traditionally, the, uh, the writer of Lamentations is uh, thought to be Jeremiah. Um, the weeping prophet uh, who had been warning of just these things taking place um, in uh, his lengthy prophecy. And in Jewish tradition, the, the scroll of Lamentations is read at a particular festival annually, a festival that commemorates disaster. Um, not only the fall of Babylon, but every disaster since that has happened to the Jewish people gets caught up um, in this annual uh, festival. The five poems um, are very carefully arranged. Um, they're, they're what's known as acrostic poems. Forgive the technicality, but uh, it's not it's not overcomplicated. It's it's a poem where each line of each verse begins with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so, if it were English, it would be the first verse begins with A, second verse begins with B, and so on. Um, and they work through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, hence 22 letters in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4. Chapter 3 is a little bit different. It's a sort of triple acrostic, where um, there are three verses, um, all beginning with that letter, then three with the next letter, and so on, which is how you end up with a much longer chapter in the middle uh, of 66 uh, verses. Yeah, why write like that? Um, well, some think... Uh, that uh, it's chosen to convey the sense that this is a, a comprehensive uh, account of the suffering of the people, a kind of A to Z, as it were. 
uh, of, um, of suffering and tragedy um, as full an account of grief as it is possible to provide. Um, and as we listen to it, you'll soon see why that might well seem to be the case. Um, it is pretty hard-hitting stuff. Um, as, um, as we listen then to these first couple of chapters, um, let me suggest a, a couple of things you might do. Remember first that this is poetry. Um, it's, it's not a sort of logical, linear, um, organized account. Poetry is not like that. Poetry is impressionistic. Uh, poetry is intended to, to, to make you feel things rather than to give you lots of pieces of information. Um, so as I read, um, feel what you're feeling. Uh, be aware of the emotions that these two chapters stir in you. Um, and then secondly, it, it probably helps to notice the voices. Um, there's more than one voice speaking. Uh, the dominant voice in the first couple of chapters is one who is kind of observing, um, commentating, as it were, on the plight of the city. But at several stages, the voice, as I can, if you like, changes, and then it's, it's almost as if the city itself is speaking to you, um, as if the, the city addresses you directly, speaking out of its own suffering. And you, you'll notice where the voice changes like that as we go through. Okay? Um, let, let me pray again for us because I think we'll need God's help uh, Father God as we uh, read these words that we believe that you have caused uh, to be recorded for us uh, we ask that uh, you would be present with us, your spirit uh, would be uh, making these uh, living words to us you tell us that everything uh, that has been written down has been written down uh, for uh, our encouragement we may feel at the end of these chapters we're not sure how they could possibly encourage us, uh, but help us uh, to, uh, to be humble before you and to be ready to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 823. Um, I think it'll help you to follow it along. Uh, page 823. It's one of those books that's quite hard to find because um, it's not very long. Lamentations chapter 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. 
In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen, all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? From on high he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, faint all the day long. My sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress the Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah. This is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there's no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look on my suffering. My young men and young women have gone into exile. I called to my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves. Inside there is only death. People have heard my groaning but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He's hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He's not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he's torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He's brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He's withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He's burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. 
his right hand is ready. Like a foe, he has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He's poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He's multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He's destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He's given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They've raised a shout in the house of the Lord, as on the day of an appointed festival. The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars is broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They've sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I might comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. All who pass your way clap their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All your enemies open their mouths wide against you. They scoff and gnash their teeth and say, we've swallowed her up. This is the day we have waited for. We have lived to see it. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He's exalted the horn of your foes. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give your souls no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands up to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and young women have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. As you summon to a feast day, so you summoned against me terrors on every side. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Those I cared for and reared, my enemy has destroyed. 
batters you. The deluge of terror, the awfulness of it. Um, before I share one or two thoughts, why don't um, we just talk for a moment? Because um, I don't want to leave you sitting passive for a long time. Um, so uh, maybe you can just think on your own if you prefer to. But um, if you want to just talk to somebody next to you, just first impressions. What strikes you? What puzzles you? Uh, what disturbs you? Um, what do you most want to try and understand as we think about it together? Just, just take two or three minutes. If you want to stand up and stretch, feel free, because uh, we're going to have about another 20 minutes or so, I think, after that. Um, so just think for a moment, uh, or talk to someone next to you. I guess probably a bit of an uncomfortable conversation. I don't know. Um, I'd be surprised if many of us come to um, words like this and, and feel terribly um, easy and relaxed about them. Um, they are um, fairly shocking in places, um, certainly very disturbing, uh, and uh, perhaps we wonder what they're doing in the Bible. Um, so much pain and grief. Um, easy, I guess, to imagine why some have had that idea that the acrostic, the, the sort of the A to Z, as it were, is like a sort of comprehensive sweep of, of agony and suffering, uh, that somehow that, that helps us to see just the, the full sweep of it, because uh, it just feels like nothing's left out. Um, in, in the horror of what we see here. It's like a tidal wave. It's relentless the way it just hits us and hits us and hits us again. Um, some, though, have wondered whether the acrostic pattern might have another purpose in mind. Um, just over a year ago when um, um, my dad had come to live with us, my mum was ill, uh, then my mum died, um, and um, in a hospital south side of London, um, my brother and I drove back to tell my dad uh, that mum was dead. Um, and that evening, uh, 93, uh, beginnings of some measure of, of confusion. Um, but over and over again, he asked me to, to replay the events. Um, tell me again what's happened. Um, tell me again what it was like. Um, can, you, can you tell me again? And, and it was just this cycling over and over again, needing to hear as he tried to comprehend the incomprehensible. Uh, that the woman he'd been married to for, uh, for those six decades uh, was no longer here. Um, grief is like that, isn't it? it, it we cycle round and round again. It, it isn't neat and tidy. Um, we often find that, that, that we return to the, the focus of our grief over and over and over again, uh, never seeming really to be able to move on uh, or move through it. Um, but that's why some have wondered whether in this acrostic form there is perhaps a sort of glimmer of hope. Because yes, if these 22 verses and 22 more verses are comprehensive, nevertheless they do have an end. Uh, they've got a beginning and they've got an end. It, 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 there is some bound, some limit to the form um, because of the way that it's structured. You know that you're working through it and, and you sense that, that an end is coming. Um, so maybe uh, just a hint perhaps that a resolution is possible what I'd like to do is, is suggest four themes um, that I'm going to touch on briefly um, and um, just show you these themes in the first couple of chapters and then I've got a, a couple of concluding observations um, uh, from uh, these chapters uh, for us to think about together so the first theme is, is the theme of reversal and loss. 
Um, there is a terrible sense of everything coming apart. I guess you felt that. Um, friends become enemies. Foes become masters. Everything good is undone. Um, you can see it there in, in the very first verse. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces now become a slave. Uh, a full city now empty. A city that was great now ruined. You get the same thing in verse 4. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. The, 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 memory, of past, the memory of past glory... It's there, isn't it? So, um, I was saying that the, the, memory, the memory of past glory just makes the, the fact that things are, are ruined now almost worse as a result. Uh, you get that sense of wistfulness um, there in verse 7. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. So hardship's always hard, but something still more terrible in the sense of reversal. Uh, and that leads, secondly, and uh, quite obviously, uh, to a sense of, of sadness um, and grief. Uh, look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheek. Among all her lovers there's no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. The tears continue in verse 15. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed just a torrent of tears. And when, when we get on into chapter 2 um, and verse 10, the, the tears have given way to sort of dumbstruck silence. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They've sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart's poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. Uh, how was it that uh, David and Nancy Guthrie captured it in that grief and loss seminar from a few weeks back, if you were here for that? 
terrible sense of emptiness, terrible sense of, of loss, of absence, of things not being as they should be, not as we ever believed that they would be. And it leaves us overcome. And, and there's a desperate need to understand, to, to try and make sense of loss. I think that was there in my dad's repeated questions, just trying to understand, trying to, trying to comprehend what seems incomprehensible. If you're familiar with the book of Job, uh, the other Old Testament book that, that m- deals most directly with terrible suffering, um, you'll remember how much of, of that book consists of dialogue, um, of, of Job and his friends, his so-called comforters, um, debating about the cause and origin uh, of the terrible suffering that Job has endured. But, but I don't know whether you, you felt it in chapters 1 and 2, that's not really here in Lamentations. That there isn't quite the same sense of, of puzzle Uh, And certainly there isn't the same sense of complaint in Lamentations. Because from almost the very beginning of of the book, the cause of the disaster is clear. Uh, And uh, the book recognizes that. Uh, The book recognizes that this is judgment, and it is judgment upon sin. Um, You get the first hint of that in in verse 5 of chapter 1. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. And, and, and before long, the, the acknowledgement that this terrible judgment is punishment for sin becomes very clear, sort of hits you again and again. Um, so look at verse 13 of chapter 1. From on high he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. He, and he's speaking about God, He sent a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, faint, all the day long. The opening eight verses of chapter 2 continue in that same thread. Um, All eight verses at the beginning of chapter 2 have God as the the subject uh, and his activity uh, throughout his judgment. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. This is chapter 2, verse 1. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire. And so it goes on. It's, it's God that's done it. And the absence of complaint, I think, is very striking. Uh, instead, what we find is an admission of sin. Um, so, chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. Or chapter 1 and verse 20. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and my, in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. 
our writer understands that this judgment has come upon the people, upon the city, uh, because of rebellion, because of sin. Uh, There are a couple of summary statements um, tucked into the poetry. Uh, One is in verse uh, 14 of chapter 1. My sins have been bound up into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They've been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sat my strength. Very vivid picture of of, of the sin, God weaving the people's sin into, into like a yoke, which he then puts on their neck. Um, and weighs them down uh, with this terrible weight uh, of judgment. And then another summary statement in chapter 2 and verse 17. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He's let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn. Of your foes. So is that it? Uh, the people utterly forsaken, uh, no glimmer of hope. Um, well, I think one of the things I want to say tonight is, please, if at all possible, come back next week. Um, we're not going to have a chance to, to look at the sweep of the whole book, um, and um, in many ways, the structure of the book focuses our attention on the middle. Um, I mentioned that it's a triple acrostic. It's the longest chapter. Um, and in all sorts of ways, that the structure focuses our attention there. So the middle chapter has, has some very striking things to say to us. Um, so come back next week, but I'm not going to rush ahead. Um, we need to stay with chapters one and two for tonight. Um, um, but, but I think there, there are little hints here, even in these chapters, um, which I'm sort of calling yearning and appeal. Um, At the end of chapter 1, the appeal is just that the enemies might kind of feel the force of God's judgment in the same way that Jerusalem has. Um, uh, May you bring the day you've announced so that they become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you've dealt with me. Chapter 1, verse 22. Um, But in in chapter 2, the appeal takes a slightly different tack. Um, with an appeal for God just to notice how awful this suffering is. Um, uh, Chapter 2, verse 19. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Look, Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they've cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? It's almost too awful to read, isn't it? But you you hear this sort of appeal, this, uh, surely God, uh, this is enough. Could, could, Could this not come to an end? Could your compassion not be aroused? in the midst of this terrible, terrible judgment. Uh, Well, there are four themes that I think uh, emerge from these first couple of of awful, difficult uh, chapters. Um, As we close, um, let me suggest one 
lesson about God and one lesson for the Christian life. Um, the, the lesson, I think, about God is that the judgment of God is both very real and very terrible. And unless we know God as a God of judgment, then you have to say we don't really know the God of the Bible at all. If we have managed to reconstruct God as a God in whom and from whom there is no judgment, then we've lost touch with the God of the Bible. Um, and, and don't imagine that this is just an archaic Old Testament kind of thing. Um, Jesus spoke more consistently um, and at greater length about judgment than any other Bible character. Um, let me persuade you. Just from Matthew, I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, we're in danger of the fire of hell. Matthew 11. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The God of the Bible is a God of judgment. Jesus Christ spoke at length about judgment. And we are not well served by Bible teachers that tell us otherwise. Actually, that was precisely the problem in Lamentations. I don't know if you caught that verse as we went through. Chapter 2 and verse 14, I put it on the screen. Uh, I thought you might have got fed up of flicking pages to and fro. Um, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. It's kind of that theme, that sort of note, that makes lots of people think that, that probably Jeremiah might well have written Lamentations. It certainly has the same flavour to it. You, you read Lamentations, uh, sorry, you read Jeremiah, um, and one of the things that um, Jeremiah is doing over and over again is condemning the prophets of Israel at that time who were saying, peace, peace, everything's fine. It's all going to be all right. Don't you worry about a thing. Reassuring the people uh, that no judgment was coming, uh, that they were safe and secure and they didn't need to repent. Um, and Jeremiah struck a, 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 an utterly different note uh, for which he was persecuted um, and uh, ignored and marginalized. Um, so the God of the Bible is a God of judgment. Uh, we need to grapple with that if we are going to understand God as he is. Um, and we're not helped uh, if we pretend uh, that it is otherwise. Um, uh, and, then, and then secondly, um, and this is where it gets really hard, if you thought it was hard so far, um, Christian believers do experience the present tense disciplining anger of God. Uh, there's a mouthful. Um, I borrowed this from, um, from some talks that um, a man called Johnny Prime uh, gave. Um, 
he, um, uh, when he worked his way through Lamentations, uh, seven talks on Lamentations. How about that? Um, so uh, they really uh, did it at length at his church. Um, if, if we are going to arrive at a, 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 at a and a new understanding of God, then, then one of the things that we might need to do is, is let go of the idea that God is, is a sort of genial grandfather figure in the sky who will only want us um, to be happy and have toys to play with. You know, I think, I mean, I, I know none of us would sort of probably characterize it like that, but actually without realizing it, I think we can drift in that direction. Um, and we diminish God. He is far more committed to the purity of his people, far more committed to the purity of his church uh, than uh, we have even begun to realize. Um, and, and that's why a book like Lamentations probably has this nudge for us. You see, that the book of Job deals with the issue of how do we make sense of um, undeserved suffering? Now, Job was righteous, he hadn't done anything to deserve the suffering that came upon him, had he? But Lamentations is dealing with a very different issue. Lamentations is dealing with the issue of, you know, what does it look like to be under uh, the, the judging hand of the Lord because you have sinned? Um, and, and what does that look like as a Christian? Now, you sense that, you know, what you want me to do at this point is you want me to rush ahead and say, but it's all right. Jesus takes the punishment for us, so everything's okay. You know, and we can all go home and, and rest easy. And of course, that is true. And we'll think more about that next week. Gloriously and wonderfully, Jesus does take the punishment in our place. But if we don't also grapple with the reality of, of how seriously God takes our sin and how serious he is about forging righteousness in us, um, then we've missed something important. Um, the, the verses that we need to think about are verses like these in Hebrews 12 where the writer says, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens, punishes everyone he accepts as his son. Uh, what about this in Revelation 3? These are all verses that Johnny Prime um, brought out. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Or again, tricky verses, we haven't got time to think about them very hard, but oops, um, 1 Corinthians 11, for those who eat and drink, speaking of the Lord's Supper, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, I know these aren't easy verses, but they're in the Bible uh, and they're verses that need grappling with. The point is that just as a mother or a father deals with a child 
and that includes discipline, so our Heavenly Father deals with us. At times, we deserve discipline, and at times, he may give it. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. So sometimes, hard and difficult things that happen to us may represent the disciplining hand of God. I mean, some of you, most of you, almost all of you are younger than me. Um, and, uh, and, and so you'll remember your childhood even more vividly than I do. But I mean, even I can remember. You, you do things wrong in childhood and mum and dad discipline you. They take away your mobile phone for a week. They ground you and say, not out, you know, for, for, a, for a week. Now, at the time, you think, ah, oh, they're behaving like an enemy towards me. They're against me. And actually, chapter 1 describes God as behaving like an enemy to the people of Israel. Like an enemy. Not an enemy, but like an enemy. As you grow up, you realize that however imperfectly, your parents were trying to love you. That when they took away your mobile phone or grounded you or whatever the, the form of discipline was, they were doing as best they could to try and help you to set aside evil. To, to learn not to do wrong, but to do right. To live a good life. To learn good patterns of behavior. Now, our parents may have done it imperfectly, but that's what they were about. Do we really imagine that God might not do something similar? That he might not, as it were, take things away from us, cause hard things to happen to us, cause us to feel pain and suffering and struggle? Because he wants us to wake up to ways in which we're being sinful and disobedient to him. It's not out of the question, is it, that God might do that? As a loving Heavenly Father. Does that mean that whenever something tough and difficult comes to me, then it's because of some sin? No. doesn't mean that. Please don't hear me say that. The Bible is very clear that lots of hard and difficult things happen to us that, that are just because we live in a fallen world, just because we're in a world where tough things happen. So the connection is not neat, but it will sometimes be there. Former generations used to be much better at this than us. Former generations, when tough things happened, one of the questions they would ask themselves is, could there be some sin, something that unrepented of sin that I, that, that I need to be alert to? I think we've become so unaware of the possibility that God might be pressing that upon us that we don't even ask the question anymore. A lot of the time the question may be, no, I don't think there is. But it'd be a right question to ask, I think. about enough uh, for lamentations uh, for tonight Christian believers do experience the present tense disciplining anger of God for God loves us as a perfect heavenly father and we would do well uh, to know him as such um, I want to get the band up the front um, I'm going to say a prayer for us in a moment we might want to be quiet for a bit as well um, we're going to um, we're going to look at a new song before to just to finish tonight uh, a song that picks up some of the themes of where we've been. Um, 
So um, why don't we be quiet for a bit? Um, I would be surprised if Lamentations hasn't given us some things to think about. Um, And then Matt will lead us into final song.